on Sunday, the 12th of September, 2pm. Surviving Society will be at the London Podcast Festival for the Podcast Makers Weekend at King's Place, London. From 2pm, we'll answer your questions and discuss the practicalities of producing and recording an independent podcast during multiple political calamities, including the COVID-19 global pandemic, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and the ongoing attacks on activists, organisers and teachers within our broad coalition of people committed to making life livable for the most marginalised. You can book your Ask Me Anything podcast production tickets today by visiting kingsplace.co.uk. See you on the 12th of September. Welcome to Surviving Society with Chantel Lewis and Tiso Regis. Executively produced by Georgia Fori Addo. This is a trigger warning. This episode at times contains conversations and sensitive material that people may find difficult to listen to. Welcome to another episode of Surviving Society. We are really excited today to be joined by award-winning writer and comedian Twana Main, who is a Southeast Ender and writes comedy that focuses on race, identity, transracial adoption and nonsense. Twana, thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> thank you, you for just, having me. You just said nonsense. You told me to say nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> It is nonsense. Some of the stuff is nonsense, uh, but yeah. Tana, I think you might be the first comedian we've ever had on the show. 100%. Well, obviously, we're. Well, I, I don't think. I, well, <laughs> out of all of us, I think George is the funniest one. I think George is probably the funniest one. Yeah, he's look, funny. Why do you look annoyed? Why has that annoyed you? This guy, on it, listeners, honestly, George just, just gets. He's, just, like a, you know, he's, like, he's like an angry elf. That's <laughs> <laughs> ouch! Ouch! <laughs> Ouch. That's so, so, that's so no, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> he's attacking, he's attacking T so now. Twana, I'm so sorry about these guys. They're very unprofessional. Twana, it is so exciting to have you on the show, especially because when you came up to the studio just then, I just felt like I know you. We did a show together, series two of your Black Woman show that focuses on your life, your lived experiences, has comedy and then has special guests, but other black women. Well, I came on your show. That was amazing. I just feel like you're someone that's a friend of the show, even though you've not even been on the show. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm a fan of the show as well. So I'm glad that (laughs) I got a chance to come on. That really freaks me out. It is weird, right? I listen to it. I think it's brilliant. It's weird. It's weird. weird. (laughs) Thank you, Twana. Right, Twana, for the listeners, they should know you. Get to know if you don't know, Twana. Who are you? I am a comedian and Mm -hmm. a writer. I had two series. There won't be a third series, I'm afraid, of Black Woman. Two's good. It's it's good, (laughs) to be honest. Mm. Like, the first series is my favourite. Because mm-hmm. it came from an Edinburgh show. Mm-hmm. I took that show to Edinburgh. And slightly That's cool, Twana. I'm not, your, I'm not on your favourite series. Yeah, don't, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. Oh, second Twana, series is Twana, good, I'm but joking, it, I'm oh joking. no, no it's all joking. gone bad. It's all gone bad. I'm joking, I'm joking. It was the first commission that I had. And so it just felt quite nice that, to go to Edinburgh, to write a show for Edinburgh, which was, the show for Edinburgh was called Black Girl. So it was slightly different. There were sort of video clips music clips in it sort of explain some of the points I was trying to make and so for the radio series why we used the guest was to, to kind of help me explain to the audience what I was on about so you know when it comes to like transracial adoption I needed to have another transracial adoptee to kind of talk about that experience and just like black women in, in general talking about what it's like being a black woman in, mm. in Britain. And just for the listeners I know this is something that you use quite a lot within your comedy but what is transracial adoption? Um, my understanding is that it's when children are raised by adults from a different 
racial or ethnic groups themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's usually white adults. It's it's very rarely adults. Sometimes you can be transracially adopted by, you know, you can be South Asian and you can be uh, adopted by black parents. But that, but in generally around the world, transracial adoption is white adults parenting non-white children. That's interesting. Yeah. That interesting, boy. It is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your comedy on it, like, I always think, like, when I hear when I hear you talk about your experiences as being a transracial adoptee, that you're someone that is very like you're very open about it, but also like you use comedy. I feel like as a way to help people understand what your experience is yeah. like. Cause it's very very particular. Obviously, there's lots of people that are transracial adoptees, but your way of talking about it is very very poignant, funny, but also like has this kind of level of compassion and empathy in it, which I think is really smart. Thank you. But, but I think for me, when I like I listen back and listen to some of the shows. It was a it's, a, it's a very clever way about speaking about very heavy subjects, right? That's what that's a good yeah, that's yeah. a good way of saying it. So, yeah, yeah. like those kind of things, like identity, belonging, community, food, all, <laughs> food, like all those things that kind of what what makes it a nationalism, mm. all those things, uh, marginalization, um, gender, all those big heavy issues, but in a punchline, I was like, oh. yeah. Like with this one, with the the hardest one for me to write was the first series was well the second series was quite tough, but the first series was the was the one about colorism and mm-hmm. it's just like how yes. do you explain colorism, mm-hmm. and it's and it's also you want to like you want to highlight something, it's kind of a serious thing so you can't mock it like w- women having because you know I'm talking about it in, from a woman's point of view but women having issues about the color of their skin and then being sort of bullied or marginalised by your, your peers because of the colour of your skin. But you also want to, you have to laugh. And so there's that thing of like, even though I wanted to sort of be serious about it and like talk about it, it's quite painful for individuals. And like my friends at school, like they're like the issues that they went through. And I realised that actually I was the right colour in this whole situation. I was just like the right right shade of brown, actually, mm-hmm. that for not to be bullied on this. And then I thought, well, it's a bit weird. But then you also just want to, you, you need to be able to laugh at both sides. Mm. So you also need to like, if somebody's going to lighten their skin, it's like, you're going to look ridiculous. And you also, but you also don't want to be like, you don't want to hurt somebody, but mm. you also need to just turn around. But then you also have to like, turn around and go, well, I can't let white people off because, because mm. I don't, you know, but then also like fake, ta- what's a fake tan all about? Like if you're going to make yourself orange. And so, you know, you kind of like, everyone's fair game, but also at the same time, you have to have a certain amount of like, like you said, like compassion and empathy, but you also got to turn around and go, look, you look like, you look like, Eddie Murphy. That's what I was going to say. That's what got me. When you said that, I was thinking, yeah. Who's made up to look like a a black person. Do you know what I mean? Like a white person. It's like, what are you, like, you don't look real. Mm. And that's, but then that's half of the weirdness of the whole thing of like, I'm sure people don't go into it because they, do you know what I mean? It's, it's complex. Do you know it's what I mean? It's definitely complex. Was it Danielle Dash that you had yeah, on that yeah. episode? Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. Really incredible and such a poignant conversation. But then obviously you, the, the format goes, you have a conversation with someone who's an expert or someone that you admire and then you've written a stand-up yeah. that um, relates to the subject matter. Such a clever way of doing it because you are talking about the serious stuff but then accompanying it with comedy. Like I said to you, when I listen to it, there's still enough, for example, in the colorism ex- episode, you still place it in the context of its time. So you talk about the historicity yeah. of it all and all mm-hmm. that. It's, it's sick. I would argue, like, out of the ones I listen to, that's probably the hardest one to do. Yeah. Because it's something that's internal to a group, right? Yeah. And so how do you discuss this to a wider audience yeah. who probably don't really understand yeah. it? And especially when there's, like, people with it, like, intra-ethnically within that group yeah. that mm. will try and downplay or deny yeah, yeah. existence. 100%. Like, there's, mm. there's not many subjects like that, and definitely colourism is one of them. Because I had, like, white friends come up to me afterwards and going, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. So it's like, my, my thing is, like, I'm trying do to explain Do you believe it. them? 
I don't know. You I know. don't know. Do you believe them? <laughs> well, come they're, 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 on, come what, on. Like, like, that black people don't like other like. There's like no, an internal. No, that like the the black person that you're more likely to see on TV or on in a fashion campaign or whatever is going to have lighter skin, and they're saying to you, they yeah, but this, but this stuff is yeah. so normalised, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's only when it gets pulled up, and then people, then you know, people go, oh yeah, and then there comes a point when everyone then gets defensive that it's you're like, oh. I you know what I mean. So it's just, those people, they don't have any space on uh, our show. You know what it is? I don't think they. It's not that they don't know. It's that they understand it, but they don't care, right? Because why would you? Like, or them? in the case of, it's not, they don't care. Like Twana's talking about the white people. They're like they're ignorant, and maybe they haven't really deeped it. What's actually happening? Mm. In the case of some mixed race people, I think that there is a defensiveness. Yeah, it's really yeah, yeah, irritating. Yeah, yeah. That it's just it's just lying, basically, in my opinion. People know my thoughts on thoughts on that that type of thing. Oh yeah, what do your family think of your comedy? They think it's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So, who do you tell your jokes to? Do you try them out on people? Like you say, Try them in a club, innit? Yeah. Is it what you just you just go, you just to, go to you, boom, yeah. That, yeah, boom. You go, this you, is go, a joke. you go to a you go to a new material night and you go and try like you've written you've written a bit at home. Wait, 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 wait. So there's mm. new material nights. Yeah. So right, this is I love a subculture, right? Yeah. Boom. Right, so when you start comedy, you need five minutes and you go to a new material night where loads of other new new comedians or people trying out new material will just have notes or a joke and they'll just get up on stage and you tell it in front of the audience. And you kind of write, you kind of write in front of the, like, you listen to the audience reaction. So I write a lot of my jokes at home. I don't sort of, some people, sometimes they used to just turn up with, like, a punchline or a setup. Usually it was the punchline, because I was thinking that bit's the funny bit, actually. And then you just go, I used to just go on stage and then just waffle for a bit. And then just try at some point, get to this point that I, that I know is funny. Mm. And then when you're sort of saying it to the audience and you're just sort of riffing a bit and you sort of, because I just sort of, I just waffle quite a bit. Mm. And then somebody might giggle and you're like, oh, that, oh, okay, so that bit was quite funny. Okay, that I, when I said that weird turn of phrase or whatever. So then you just make a note of that and then you sort of get to the end and then you go back to doing the jokes that you know work so the audience kind of have a bit of a laugh. And then mm. you go to another new material night and you include the bit that they kind of laughed at in the in the initial and the sort of punchline. And you, t- and you just basically... You just few process, trial, process, trial and error. It's, it's people a mad will, process, man. People will laugh. Because yeah, you know, T says getting excited. Are you getting excited? No, like, listen. You see, jumping you see the career change. He's going to do it. Boom. I'll go to like a stand-up thing and I'll sit in the crowd and I see my man and I'm thinking, I know he's a new geezer and I see he looks a bit scared. And I'm thinking that that takes courage to go up there. Yeah, so much and, courage. And to go there and put your whole yeah. ego on the line because yeah. obviously you've been working on something and you yeah. think it's funny. And you then, say working, do you know what? Some of these guys are just turning up there thinking, do you know what? I'm just going to, and you're like, do you know what? To me, it's a craft. Yeah, yeah. And some people don't realise that it is a craft. Mm-hmm. And when you go and see a comedian go and do in half an hour, 45 minutes, like they've learned that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? They're not, and it might look like they're, I'm giving the game away to, you know, yeah. but I just. Reveal them secrets. We, <laughs> but we know, we know, do you know what I mean? It's like, and you've honed it and you've practiced it so many times and mm. all the rest of it, you know how it works. And so you make it look like you're just get going on stage yeah, and yeah. you're just, here's a few thoughts off the top of my head. It's like, no, actually, you've been, yeah, I've yeah. been working on this. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, you call some of your comedy nonsense. Yes. Yeah. I don't think any of it's nonsense. You know what? I think you are. There's silly a bits soci- in all of those shows. There's sociological like comedian. I am. I do, you're do a sociology. You're though. a sociological yeah. comedian. Yes. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. No, it. it's true. Like, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You're 100%. a social because even like your quote unquote nonsense bits are always related to, I think, yeah, 
race, gender, yeah. identity, yeah. class. My man's dropping marks. The boys are like, like yeah. Shoot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all. Listen, yeah, I, did, yeah. come I, did, on. I did do like sociology at uni. Yeah. So yeah. Mm. That, that's, yeah, well, thank you. My but favourite Stuart sociology Hall, But Stuart, Stuart, Hall would be, <laughs> Stuart Hall would say that your comedy is part of pop culture then relates yeah, to yeah. the wider social world. Yeah, yeah. So the thing that sprung to mind looking at your episodes, I was thinking of like Stuart Hall and Paul Gilroy. That's w- what I thought because mainly you're tackling ideas of identity, but identity through the idea of being hybrid hybridization that's what they would kind of refer okay, so to t, so for the listeners and for twana tell us what is hybridity what is hybridization yeah, it's i'm just gonna say a mix a mix yeah, a mix yes mix up mix up a mix up but no it's like so you're talking about identity and how it's it's made up of different things right when i'm listening back to this and i'm thinking yeah that's it, it makes the point but when you're talking about the idea of hybridization you're talking about being beyond those kind of uh, labels no those essentialist ideas or (coughs) whatever it is even though we try to move past it we always seem to come back to essentialize ourselves Mm -hmm. and this is the paradox of it all right so i was looking at the word transracial adoption and that is interesting in itself because it says the word trans so it goes beyond those essentialist things but do you ever go beyond them Obviously, I don't know, but anecdotally, I know people go back looking for their original birth parents. Yeah. So you're looking and people yeah. go back looking for their roots. I think we're like, well, Pill Gilroy and Stuart Hall, they try to remove those essentialist nationalists, but they, they are very essential to human beings. This idea of nation, yeah. this idea of identity, it, it doesn't go anywhere. So we need to find a way to kind of balance that paradox. That's really interesting, T, um, in relation to Tawana, to Tawana stuff, because I think you're right, because Tawana's com- comedy and then like the round table stuff, like you, for example, like you talk about blackness, black womanhood, you talk about class, mm. and like you are dealing with certain essentialist notions, but also your own feelings of, of grappling with those, of maybe not always fitting fit mm. into those essentialist notions. And I think we've had an episode on this podcast where mm. we've spoken about black essentialism, about how we feel like we are constantly trying to push against essentializing what blackness is. However, there are some things about being black that we have that we share and have in common and yeah. maybe those are the things that we come quote unquote come back to mm. and and this is the problem so when we're talking about the idea of trends we're trying to remove ourselves from these things so you'll be on so i've said it myself i heard you say it on your podcast like there's no one way of being black so mm. we understand that but essentially we understand there is a way of being black yeah 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 we all understand that so internally as a group we get upset when someone questions our blackness. Yeah. This whatever whatever arbitrary limit that we put on it. So this there's this paradox that sits in within the idea of being uh, hybridity or or to quote because I'm writing about it right now the Black Atlantic or all those kind of things. That there's a problem with that paradox. So how do you reconcile that? Well, all of us in this room, we're all hybrids of one form, right? So we're all mm. kind of made up of different things. But how do we reconcile this? Because I, I sometimes I would define depending on where I am. And whom I'm with, mm. I define myself as X. Yeah, and this is this is part of the problem, right? Yeah, I've been. I was talking wow, to somebody a while ago, and um, about because this this conversation of especially of like black children in care and mm. what to do with like in terms of the ones uh, in the right age range to be adopted, like what to do with them, mm. and it's like there's not enough black adopters, and that's a whole. The reasons why is is for another podcast, and mm. it's it's kind of it's not it's complex, but it's you know it's a system. Do you know what I mean? We know about black people and systems. It's like so black adults getting involved in a system to adopt black children who've been removed by another. It's like it's 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 mad. But so in the end, you have a lot of white adopters, and it's a case of like children have a right to have a family, 
but they also have a right to be black and to be raised by people who understand what it is to be black. And some of the conversations that I've had with people who are involved in sort of like fostering adoption kind of get it, but also like, yeah, but children can't wait. It's like, do you know what? We've been saying this for years about black children in care. And it's just like, you lot are taking the mickey seriously. It's like black children have a right to be raised by, by black adults. They really do. And it's kind of, and no one sort of questions what white adults what like what are you thinking when you turn around and go yeah I can raise these kids you're like seriously can you like do what like yeah you can feed them three times a day you can send them to school and that's brilliant but it's all this kind of stuff of like how do you nurture like what it is to be black and so like when I came up with like the food episode it's like it's only like the food thing has come up as an adult and where I found myself in situations where I was with like white friends and we'd go to like the takeaway and they'd be like Caribbean food and like you order you're like I can't get like I felt so like oh my gosh, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing here. Like, this is not my food. And then you're like, why is this not my food? Oh, because I, you know what I mean? And you're like, oh my gosh. Like, so when you think, oh yeah, you know how to look at, like, let's teach them how to look after their skin and their hair because then, then they'll be all right. It's like, well, yeah, that's really important. But it's also lots, lots of other things of like culture that makes people what they are. And like fostering and adoption is like it's hundreds of years behind when it comes to like that kind of, like I've met like Asian people who've been adopted by white parents and they've got like white names. Like, 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 white, like they've changed it. So when you meet them, you're like, you're meeting like a Simon. You're like, seriously? What are you playing at? Just like, Dave? You know what I mean? It's like, what are you doing? Do you know what I mean? So I sit there like as an adopted person who's, who's come out with my, my original first name and my surname. And so when I meet adults who've been adopted, usually they don't have that. Usually they, they definitely don't have a surname. They might have their, depending on how old they were, when, you know, like... Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like I can sit there and talk about this kind of stuff like from a like quite a privileged sort of position of somebody who's sort of come with parts of their identity like right pretty much intact. Like I have my older brothers, like I have my younger brother, I didn't grow up with my younger brother, but it's like I have those relationships. So I think that there's two black feminists I'm gonna bring in now to the conversation. Yes, go on, love let's this. go, let's I go. Love this. I'm PhD, I'm PhD submission ready, so it's fresh whoop, in my whoop, head. Whoop. Okay, so when Twine is talking, I'm thinking of two people. So I'm thinking of France Widdance Twine, Windance Twine, American sociologist who has written extensively on white mothers that raise children from african-american or black african backgrounds in the uk and the us one of the terms that she coins is a phrase or terminology called racial literacy and what she found in her research with white mums and these are bio- these are white mums that their biological children are mixed race um so it's it's different to the transracial adoption but i think some things apply one of the things that she found was that white mums sought ways to make sure that their children felt comfortable in their racial identity or how they would be racialized so did things like created a black community around them made sure that they visited other other black family members um, engaging in art hair skin all this stuff but then she did another study in the late 90s so that's like her kind of big big stuff and she did another study in the late 90s she had so then she had families that she spent time with in the states that were middle class and the white mums that had the brown children or the brown girls didn't necessarily engage in this racial literacy and it wasn't until their daughters went to university that they became cognizant of their racial identity and embraced that 
what I want to say to you, Tawana, is that I think it's, I think I sort of admit, I'm completely obviously in agreement with exactly what you've said, but I think it's really interesting that we have this kind of race blind approach to white parents. And I know we don't always have that. And I know there are plenty of white parents that are able to bring up um, children of colour or black kids. But I do feel like there is a lack of questioning on the capacity for them to do so. Mm. Especially like, like you don't have to, I think anyone can have kids. Like I think everyone should have kids if they want to. But like, you don't have to, you don't have to not be racist to have a black kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And that in itself is mad, isn't it? Yeah. Like, obviously, yeah. we don't want to start. We definitely don't want to start policing who's yeah. allowed to have yeah. children. But it is wild to me that, like, it, it does feel wild to me that you can be racist. And this has existed, obviously, my, across my the whole of history. My younger brother was adopted. Like, his adoptive parents were, like, his dad used to say, like, racist yeah. stuff. And it's just like, but he didn't mean it about us. But you're like, also, you're like, but that's racist. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? So you're like, you're around. And it's just, yeah, so people think, oh, yeah, yeah white people, yeah, you, can't, you can't be racist if you want to adopt some black children. Like, do you know what? Your children will be, sometimes you'll put your children in, like, really all-white situations where they'll have conversations with white people who, white people who don't usually have conversations with black people. And they'll say stuff and they'll ask questions and they'll touch your hair. And then you're like, what are you doing? You can't treat me like this. Do you know what I mean? It's it's mad. It's mad. But yeah. As I was thinking of it, right? So I was thinking in terms of of the system, right? So the system takes a for what I'm better with a color blind approach, right? Yeah. So when people are sitting there, they're sitting there. I want to give a life to a human yeah. being and human beings need the same. We all need the same thing. Yeah. Right? So this is the approach that they take. Right. So I'm just adopting a human being. What you're saying T now reminds me of my second black feminist, uh, Bell Hooks. Yeah. Who talks about racial sameness in black looks, doesn't she? Yeah. yeah. And like obliterating racial difference through sameness well, can be violent in itself. It's violent in itself. But I was also going to add that essentially that they do they look for what what are the essential building blocks for black what makes a black person so if you look after their skin uh get the i don't know mix i don't know do they do, do their hair that means you've hit you've ticked off the essential block so it's it's a form of it's a form of rationalization and and that's what the system does right it's try to rationalize and make this the most efficient way of adopting someone that isn't the same racial group. i also think it reduces black people as well yeah of course it does it's reductive. Re- yeah we're just it's like reductive. we're more than these things so there's another essay from the late 90s by Bell Hooks, which remi- again reminded me, I was thinking about as you were talking to Anna, and she talks about African-American families in the States, in in the um, suburbs, or what we, I think in the countryside suburbs. And she talks about how being around loads of white people was really hard for black people. So their way, or black, the minority of black families, their way of coping was about talking to each other about what the white people were like to live with. And I know that sounds like a really simplistic thing to say, but that in itself, I feel like in relation to what you both were just talking about in terms of just talk, ticking the box of hair and skin, actually talking about living amongst an abundance of whiteness mm. isn't in, in itself a way to cope as a negatively racialized black person in society like you can't underestimate how important it is mm. to talk about what it feel what that feels like yeah. and i think that that's what spring what's definitely what sprung to mind when you were talking about the, the institution and the structure and white white parents so yeah 
It's kind of weird, like, it's only until about 15 years ago that I first met transracial adoptees who I wasn't related to, essentially my brothers. And, um, like, my experience of it has actually kind of weirdly been positive, even though I don't actually agree with it as a thing. Do you know what I mean? But it's like, because I've had, I stayed in London. You know, we were born in London, we stayed in London. Like, my mum's from North Devon. And she, there was a point when she was thinking, oh, maybe I'll just move back to the country. It's like, I can't take these children up from this city. And there's no one that looks like them in the village that I'm from therefore it's just not going to be fair so we stayed and so is that thing of when you see when you talk about children who are kind of like so when you kind of adopted sometimes like it's it's really like you basically sever ties with your biological family and depending sometimes I've met like people who've been adopted and the first time they've met somebody that they were related to biologically was when they have their own children and that's like really powerful, like this really, really powerful. And people don't understand that it's kind of like has a like it's like it's a, it's like they did because they don't have any brothers and sisters. They don't know. So it's all about like mirroring. So like sometimes you can mirror like with your siblings or other family members or you can just kind of in a way mirror with um, amongst the community. So you're like, oh, I'm not related to these people, but I look like these people. So I've met people who were like adopted and they lived outside of London or they lived in like towns and villages where they were like the only black person or the only couple of black people in that town. And they'd come to London and they'd see other black people and they'd be like, oh my, like, they'd be like so happy to see us. And then they'd be staring and people were like, what are you staring at me for? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? People like going, because it's London, we don't stare at, you know what I mean? It's like, so it's like not un not reading, not understanding the, like, the signals and all the rest of it and sort of having to learn to be black, like within like the city. It's, it's mad. People don't understand, people just, people just kind of think, yeah, you, you raise some children and it's all fine because these kids could have just stayed in care and they could have had a dreadful time. But it's actually like, it's really complex and it's really like, and it's a thing that just... Don't cry, Chantel. Sorry, 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 sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry <laughs> listeners. I'm, I'm here. Well enough. I'm back in the room. It's one of those things. That, so when people sort of think about adoption, it happens to children. Actually, you basically just then spend a lot of your adulthood just like making sense of... Like with everybody, do you know what I mean? You're making sense of your life. And mm -hmm. with the added bit of adoption and and all the rest of it, and sometimes like the added dynamic of like adoption and race, then there's like this difference. There's like a lot of stuff that you're trying to work out but you're lucky you're, you're essentially you're trying to work out your identity right yeah, yeah you're yeah. trying to put it together and where do you belong yeah where and i, I well speaking from my own experience i ha have you have similar troubles as a black guy where do i belong do i belong with these street people do i belong in this field mm. and you're always trying to work it and navigate where you feel comfortable it's only as i've got older now and i'm less bothered by that yeah but for most of your life yeah it is a driving force i hear your point too but i guess as a transracial adoptee it's just a whole nother i can imagine it must be like uh, the way i see it it's a madness when you're telling me stuff like i said when i'm looking at your when i'm looking at the shows and i'm seeing how you put all these issues here and the themes it's something that from my point of view that you thought about a lot so mm. it's been on your mind a lot yeah, yeah yeah and so that's what it comes across when i when i listen to it so i'm thinking well like is, is that what your mind's like that's that's a bit heavy man like my <laughs> man like boom i go through it a little bit but so minor to me, like, yeah, you get me. So I think, like I said to you, like you do a very good job at kind of articulating a very Com a very com a very complex situation through your own experiences, which is which is a hard thing to do, man. It's sick. Have you had people reach out to you? Yeah, yeah, kind of a mixture. Sometimes, like it's parents who've adopted 
uh, black children are going, oh my gosh, okay. What, white, white people? Yeah, white, par- yeah, white parents who've adopted uh, black children are going, this is, in- like, I've never thought about it, like, because no one's sort of told them, what? and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, this is what yeah. my eyes are about. Like. Yeah. Did, did they say, how do you make your rice and peas? Like, like, say, listen, it's not about <laughs> that, fam. It's not about <laughs> that, fam. But then also, conservative, go, I don't know. Do you know what I, mean? <laughs> I'm not, I really am the wrong person the to ask. Yeah. So white people that reach out and say, yeah. this, this is interesting. Yeah. Oh. I'm going to, I'm actually going to do some work with my children like i'm actually going to put the work in do you know what i mean because like, they got youngsters haven't they they got this is the thing when you yeah. have like small children you think your children are like neutral mm. and you think when they become adult then that's when the issue starts it's like actually you need to do the work now because black families are before about, black before families you've black, given before but black families are doing like george floyd black lives matter they talk that conversations are happening in homes yeah. but if you're like white parents and you've got black you're like we, we don't do race here you're like you have to you really do they start from a neutral position, right? Yeah. So because they don't define themselves as race. So this is what what they say in the literature: whiteness is invisible, right? Yeah. So they're not. They don't even have an understanding of themselves as being white. Yeah. They see yeah, them as yeah, individuals, yeah. right? But slightly, con- but not con- well. It's not contrarian, but kind of trying to think about other sociologists or other race theorists that talk about this stuff. Is it that they do know that they're white and they do know? They want to go. They think they can go beyond that. No, no. I, I, I sorry. I definitely listen. There's, there's an understanding. They understand what whiteness is and what, what, they, what they are. But it's the levels that they go right. Yeah. So they, they, they're not, they're not looking to push against any boundaries. So they don't, they don't question it. Mm. And so, so when they do question it, it's very lightly. But yeah. they're not looking to push. Or as a marginalized person, your perspectives are different. Your experiences are different. So white people don't have those experiences, even at different class levels, right? Because essentially that whiteness protects them. Like they understand, just like the example I give is like we all know there's global warming, but what am I doing about it? Fuck all. <laughs> you get me? So, so like it's the same with white. <laughs> like they understand what's happening, but what are they going to do about it? You don't have I to. I don't know. I guess the and this is Gal Lewis here. There's a very fine line I see, you're, between. You're embarrassing me, man. You know, you, you know, you're awful. I know man. my, oh, I know my people. Mate. I know my people. Um, there is a very fine line between. Or find lines between love, racism, and kinship. Sick. Wow. These are the complexities. Mm. Like these are the complexities. What I think Tuana really takes seriously and talks about so eloquently on her series that I think I don't think enough of us, whether it's from a transracial adoptee's point of view or from an interracial family's point of view, don't feel like they have the range to talk about or are scared to talk about. These are the complexities and they're very real. You gave the example of George Floyd, um, the Black Lives Matter uprisings last year, um, or the resurgence of Black Lives Matter uprisings. I spent a lot of time with black people and black mixed race people in my PhD research that were mainly parented by white people. And I'd wrapped up my research by the time um, June 2020 came up. I wrapped up in like December 2019. I had so many of the family members reach out to me and say, I've finally spoken to racist Uncle Steve. I've finally told my dad. I've finally told my mum that I don't want to listen to this shit anymore. That I don't want to listen to this racist stuff. And I was so overwhelmed. I was like, shit. Like, as in, like, we, I'd spent so much time talking to them about what it was like balancing these issues of love and racism and family together. And then, like, last summer, this kind of, the pollination we call it on the show the pollination and I know that we can there's many critiques that we can have about what's happened since last summer like all that black square bullshit but 
There was something. Not a fan. There was, <laughs> there was something, and we talk, we have spoke about this in the mm. show, that did happen, I think, for some black people, where it's like, actually, fuck off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? There was something that happened. And talking about this very fine, lo- these very fine lines between love, racism, family, kinship, I think there was something there as well. Mm. I can't talk from transracial adoptees' point of view, but I wonder if the system is the system, isn't it? As you, as you say, like we can't think, we can't imagine anything radical is going to come out of care. Mm. But I wonder what it's been like for people within the care that are within, outside of um, the care system post last year. It was really interesting because when. Because I like I on Twitter I follow lots of kind of like people in like social workers and all all, all that world, and it was silence. There was silence for ages. So like even when like the police, the like the Metropolitan Police were going, oh we, we <laughs> like and you're like, oh my gosh, I've you know what I mean? Any black people yeah. today. Yeah. You know what I mean? We recognise about how the how structural rate and all this. Yeah. You like so the Met Police have come out. You know yeah, they've yeah. said stuff. Like everyone's everyone sort of said their bit. Social work Amazon. Twitter was just like really? it was literally it was like it was crickets. It was awful. <laughs> and then somebody just piped up and was like, um, mentioned George Floyd. And then some, I was like, this is the US, right? Fair enough that you've acknowledged this thing, but even like institutions in the UK have recognised that we're in, that we're in the UK and we're not America and all the rest of it. And it's like still. And then like people were just like. And then it slowly came. And I was thinking, you lot of rubbish. This yeah. is really dreadful. Mm. Seeing that, you know, like in terms of like class and race, like the majority of children in care are like working class. And even, it's not even working class, it's below work. It's like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's deprived people yeah. basically. Yeah. And then you throw in some race and ethnicity and it's just like disproportionately affects poor um, black, black and brown people. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, it's, it's, not, it's not good. And you're like, you lot are just going, yeah, there are, you're like, this is dreadful. It's, it's it's just it just it's it, so that's it, the levels of race neutrality that you yeah. get like that because they're like we like we haven't got time to engage in that because basically we need to get children out of bad situations and so we haven't got time to look at all of this other stuff when you can turn around and turn around and say actually children get taken into care for lots of different reasons but one of the common threads that runs through it all is is poverty literally yeah it's not it's it's not the thing that presents but it's there yeah. you know it's it's it's, it's a, so you know like babies getting taken into care. Are usually from like deprived areas. Do you know what I mean? It's just like this stuff is not. It's not rocket science, actually. I guess this is this is the zeitgeist, right? So, right now, Black Lives Matter, the the global pandemic, all these have opened up fissures that makes you make institutions look at themselves, right? But institutions we know are institutions by definition because they're slow and lumbering mm. and big. They're not good at looking at themselves mm. and being reflective. And racist. And racist. <laughs> so no, it's definitely, yeah. So, but, it, it, so. I guess, but one of the zeitgeist tea before you just carry on that I think you're drawing on as well is obviously abolition. Mm. Part of the abolitionist movement is abolish yeah. social services, abolish I, and care I, I, system, I think abolish. What I was going to say, sorry, see, I think at the moment there's a groundswell of people like we've had on the podcast, on the show, that, that it's moving in that direction. But obviously that, to quote G-Man here, what date? When's the time? People want the people want this now, mm. but there's it's a slow process, man. Yeah, when and is yeah. When, when is it, freedom? When, when is freedom? Mm. And and in this process, because it's a real life thing, kids are suffering, right? Yeah. And that's then that's the madness. That's yeah. a, that's the sadness of it all, right? It's not in our lifetime, sorry guys, but we can work towards it. Yeah. Because I was got asked to speak to like some some I don't really want I'm trying to be like diplomatic here, but somebody was trying to sort of say come and speak about like being a transracial adoptee and just sort of speak from your um from your sort of lived experience, 
And what do we need to tell like white adopters? Is thinking you, you can't look how to raise black children. Like you don't want to ask me, mate, because literally I'm like I'm not the black person for this. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like you need black people for this. Mm. <laughs> like how to ra- mm. do you know what I mean? You're like not sort of this 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 version of like somebody who can talk kind of confidently about their experience and talk about what I've missed. But it's also like I can't actually put put a like a finger on it and go actually this is what you need to do. I had a white parent reach out to me before about. Was it adopted? Yeah, it was about adopting a black kid. And I think it, the thing that I said to them was you need to in look at, focus on who you are as a person mm. first. Like, what is your capacity to be racially literate? What does it mean to be a white woman? Yeah. Like, yeah. I do think that, like, removing the gaze back onto white people. Yeah. This is it. Like, listen. I said this at the Franz start. Fans fanon. Listen, it's all it's always been you. It's never been me. It's you, fam. You're the one that made up all the rumors and lies and stereotypes. It's not me. You. And then, listen, the listen, rumors. listen, listen. Man's assimilated. Man's gone past that now, right? And then what happened when the 2020 football? Two seconds, you revert back to the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. No, bro. Listen, my, listen. All my family all gone to university. All got houses, bro. What are you still doing? Pubs dead listen i'm telling you i'm telling you i love the pub it's you it's you and this is what i'm trying to say right now like so anecdotally you can walk into any any kind of bookshop and you'll see books on everyone yeah but white people Mm. only recently there's this thing about whiteness study but you go to bookshop you find books on everyone else but white and that's that's and that's the most anecdotal thing and i say i also i say to people like Again, when I'm trying to talk about race and talking about especially with race about white people, and I'm trying not to get too deep, I'm talking anecdotally. I said, look, think about where the power is, right? I said, how many words to describe a black person badly? You listen, man, run out, you run out of things. You could write there's a list. I said, how many bad words in English language for a white person? They're, they're searching, they're searching. I see mm-hmm. man gets out Google and googling stuff and all that. And I said, I said that's anecdotally. I said, can you see what I'm saying? It's you, fam. You have the power. I know he comes up basically every week now, but just to slightly come back to you, T, on this point, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on this one as well. Obviously, yeah, it's you. Let's look at you. I'm talking about the white person here. But what do we do when the sewer report drops mm. on a Friday <laughs> before we're all just trying to enjoy our weekend? Listen, man, the drop, sewer report drop drops. Drop my phone and everything. It's drop my phone that day. <laughs> <laughs> I dropped my phone. Led by an <laughs> army of black and brown people saying, mm. T, there's no racism. Mm. Twana, this, the, the care system's not institutionally racist. Mm. It's done. So this is what I mean. So I agree, like, we have to get white people to look at themselves, talk about themselves. But that isn't, that's not enough, is well, it? Listen, my, I've been thinking about them, man. Like, so like, one, of my, one of my new things, right, is looking at Christian... Christian far right people, right? And it's not one of your no, sorry, no, no, sorry no, listeners, no, 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 as you no, know. No, no, we've no, been no, on this no, 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 it's a church thing. I, I, this is a new one. Listen, that's where I got the demon from. Right. They say demon a lot, right? <laughs> so there's a lot of black people in that, right? Because obviously black normally wait, wait, can you we just clarify it? Far right Christian Christian, Christian nationalists, right? Right. So um, these are the kind of guys that they, they speak in tongues. It's a it's a big well, I think personally it's a big con, but that's my personal opinion, right? What you tend to find, there's a lot of black Christian nationalists in there and they tend to be ultra-conservative, neoconservative, and which kind of flies in the face of what happens in America normally. Black people normally vote for Democratic people, but these people are very right-wing. So they insist that slavery was a good thing, that black people need to go back into bondage. Um, oh. A whole load of things that you think, that's actually insane. But 
as I started thinking of it, so I started thinking that there's, it's quite possible for people to, for example, you could be working class and you can make money and you can distance yourself from, you can start talking bad about working class people, even though you're from that. So is it about, it's about money and power? It's about money and power and, and how you can, you Capitalism. can, and you can disassociate yourself just to make money and get ahead and not really care about people. So if you think about pretty, things like Pretty Patel and all them in there, like, they don't care. And 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 they will play fast and loose with race because it's yeah. it's to them it's a strategy. Mm. It's not it's not an ideology for us. It's an ideology. It's a belief. It's something we hold in the core in our hearts. For them, it's a strategy. And I think it's raw. Mm. I said I deep that the other day. I sat there thinking, yeah, raw. that's a good. Actually, I think you've solved that. T. It's a strategy. Listen, it's the trainers today. You get me? <laughs> the Taylor trainers, fam. Amazing. Well, what do you, what what do you think about all that? Sorry, it's fine. We've really gone off tangent as we. I do agree. I do. think I said in the second series of my show that, like, when I mentioned, like, because Preeti Patel's like yeah, running yeah, 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 yeah. because yeah. she is possibly horrendous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But I sort of said to she like the Tories, but especially her, she's like a handful of those like black and brown Tories who use it. They'd like weaponize it in mm, such yeah. a way where you're like, do you know what? You lot are, you're like, you're so dangerous. Demons, and you don't care. demons, they're demons, yeah. man. But it is the way like race become, yeah, it becomes used as a strategy. It's strategy, yeah. And this is what's so difficult for us, obviously, as negatively racialised people. It's a distraction. It's, it distracts yeah. from something. So, like, sometimes when, like, race is whipped up, you're like, what What are you, t- what is, th- what is being missed here? Do you know what I mean? And so sometimes when certain things happen, you're like, something's being revealed and you're like, oh, they haven't got time now to play this race card. So now they're going to have to deal with an actual issue. But it's like it just sometimes it evolves. You're like, why are we talking about race here? Like, so sometimes when like somebody goes on about like Black Lives Matter, you're like, why are we talking about statues and like black like, mm. you know, we've got like five thousand Afghans trying to leave. Do you know what I mean? Why are we talking about this? Why are we still like because they because they use it's part of it's their thing, but it's the rights, it's the culture war, and yeah. it is a distraction, and it keeps people, it keeps their voter base on side it keeps their voter base thinking that they're they're being threatened yeah. it keeps their voter base thinking that someone's coming to take their job yeah. that someone's coming to take their house someone's coming to rob them someone's coming to steal their women like it's about keeping control and power it ties into the kind of the western mindset right they see it as a zero-sum game if i'm not at the top possibly you're gonna take my job and, mm. be, and i can't do this so there's a whole there's a whole kind of anxiety around that. So this is why there's a fear of basically any marginalised group from women to uh, to black people. It's just everyone, right? Because they they see it as zero sum. If these people get any form of power, mm. I will lose out. Mm. And it's and then it's trying to break them out of that kind of mindset. So when they're talking about statues for them, if you take away one statue, we're next. Yeah. We're next. And you're thinking we're taking I've, all your statues. And the thing is, that's another statue, isn't it? And probably that's it. <laughs> but I, I just say, I say to him, like, do you understand statues? It's just like I said before on the podcast. The other I day, don't it, know them. It's just bad history. Like, there's not, there's no statues of, of William the Conqueror. Does that mean I don't know him? You fucking doofus! Yeah. It drives me <laughs> nuts, man. And like, like I said, I love his, there's no statue of William the Conqueror. What? But my thing, my, you know, like after like the Edward Colston one came down last year. Big up Bristol. Bring up the Bristolians. Mm. There was um people in somewhere where you know like the scout leader mm. Baden Powell. Oh, Baden like, Powell yeah. like, why are you around the scout? Like people like we, they can't take that. Like, some Portsmouth or something. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Going, and we and can't there, take there's one guy. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, Go yeah. home. Yeah. There's one guy. He came down early. Some old guy. Yeah. Listen, what are you gonna do? <laughs> 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 George, George, I see my he's got in a, a twenty moustache. I was like, 
People with like Union Jacks tied around them, they'll come down. Like, no one's coming to Portsmouth for like a scout leader. Behave yourselves. It's like I got into a debate with a guy about these statue things. So Mike he's and I said to him, I said, do you think we actually care about statues? Yeah. I said all the names. I said every day I'm navigating your bullshit, right? I said, do you think I've got time for statues? Yeah. Fam, the thing is, you annoy me because I know more about the statues than you, but that's a minor. But I don't really care about that because mm. I'm navigating everyday bullshit. I don't t- put 10 more up. I don't care. Mm. It's a minor, right? But and I guess to, to sort of give the other side of it, there will be other people that are descendants of, for example, slavery that do care about it, that are like, actually, it's symbolic. It's part of the history of the country. I don't want that to be memorialised anymore. I want it gone because it represents to me. There is symbolic value of how you, like you said on the show the other day, was it deference? Yeah, listen, yeah. I obviously, I totally agree with you. Like it's such a distraction. It's used for the culture wars. But equally, if there are some like middle-class lefty white people that are going to pull down these slave traders, bring it on. Like like, take them down. Um, Statues, they they do have their place, right? Historically, and again, if you're talking about where where we live, there's a history of the West of symbol of of an an art form of sculpture. Listen, I I get that. But all we're saying is, put a statue up, but I just, just tell the truth, yeah, man. Yeah, explain. Just tell the truth. Just tell yeah. the truth. Like, yeah. listen, I'm asking for more history, but you, you man, are just telling mm. me, you're telling me, raw like, my man's a good man. No, listen, he's a bit of a dickhead, but I don't <laughs> mind that you got a statue there. <laughs> yeah, you get me? Yeah, yeah. I don't mind. Yeah. So when are you going to be back on the road? Do you I think? reckon. I reckon early twenty twenty. I think so. Yeah, you having a minute? <laughs> I'm, I really am. I thought Good. I'm going to have some rest. Actually, this yeah. is the only one point in your, my life that I've managed to go. Oh, actually, this is perfect just to take the feet off the gas. Yeah, just, nice. just I think next up. year I'm going to write some stuff. I'm writing, trying to write some stuff for like TV. I want to do. Um, <laughs> just want to mind this adoption stuff for a bit longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like this transracial adoption stuff for a bit, bit more. I mean, you say mine it like there are so many people's lives and experiences you're going to be changing and helping. Like knowledge is power, and especially if knowledge is delivered in a way that's accessible and funny, yeah. it really helps people. So, like, I I hear what you're saying when you say mine, but I think I just don't want you to to, to downplay how radical and impactful yeah, your sick, work man. is, your art is. Thank you. And and, and plus. It's not not even just what you're saying. It's just knowing that someone out there is similar, that's going through a similar thing, yeah. because you don't. You, you everyone's like kind of atomized individuals, man. So mm. yeah, it's mm. big, man. Big it's in the really game. big. Cheers. Twana, you're an absolute legend. We love you. Will you come on the show again? Boom. You, you, been... you have to. You have to. I'll, I'll wear different trainers next time. I'll wear different ones yeah, as well. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Listeners, thank you so much for supporting the show. Um, we'll be back again next week. Bye. Bye. On Sunday, the 12th of September, 2pm, Surviving Society will be at the London Podcast Festival for the Podcast Makers Weekend at King's Place, London. From 2pm, we'll answer your questions and discuss the practicalities of producing and recording an independent podcast during multiple political calamities, including the COVID-19 global pandemic, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and the ongoing attacks on activists, organisers and teachers within our broad coalition of people committed to making life livable for the most marginalised. You can book your Ask Me Anything podcast production tickets today by visiting kingsplace.co.uk. See you on the 12th of September. Thank you for listening to Surviving Society with Chantal and Tiso. You can now continue the conversation with us on Twitter and Instagram. 
If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. 